If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and open them to 1 Timothy. So we're continuing our sermon series through the book of 1 and 2 Timothy in preparation for autonomy that's coming up for us as, as a campus here at the first of the year. So some of you may or may not know, we've been a revitalization project for about the last five years. We're a campus of Lenexa Baptist Church currently across uh, town. And in January, we're going to be launched out as our own autonomous church, healthy, charged to reach the local Olathe area. And so we're super excited about all that God's done and all that God has in our future. And we thought the best way to prepare for that would be to look at God's word in First and Second Timothy and, and look at what God says about the church. So some of you may or may not have heard that First and Second Timothy and Titus, they are known as the pastoral epistles, but really they're epistles that Paul writes to Timothy and Titus uh, describing for us what the church is to be. So this isn't just instructions for us pastors, this is instructions for all of us as a local body of believers. And so that's what we're doing is we're working our way through these books so that we might know how to conduct ourselves, as, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in the household of God. And so we want to make sure that that's what we're doing, that we understand what God's calling us to do and that we're aligning ourselves with what God says and not just what we think we should do. And so uh, I take comfort in that. I love that God gives us these instructions. And so that's where we're headed this morning is, is looking in greater detail at a particular area of leadership. But before we jump in, I want to remind you of where we've been. Now, Paul starts out this book of 1 Timothy uh, by reminding Timothy of, of three foundational things that every church needs to be about, right? And he starts right out of the gate in chapter one with God's word, right? And so we're talked about doctrinal health or, or understanding the truth of God's word that as a church, we're to build everything that we do on the foundation of God's word, right? God is God and we're not. That's how we started the very first week. And so we get to, uh, we get to fall in alignment with what God says, right? We don't get to come up with the stuff. That's God's uh, job. And so we just seek to go to his word Word and better understand what it is that we're supposed to do. The second foundational truth that he talked about in there was about the gospel. And so he talked about what the gospel is, um, what it means to be a genuine and true believer, right? Somebody who's actually experienced life transformation, right? Not just some behavior modification type stuff. Like we just want to be better people. No, it's, it's about life transformation, that we have a relationship with Jesus, that we've experienced forgiveness of our sins, and that we have promised eternal life. And so he talks about the importance of that, why it's foundational. So God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then last week, we talked about the third primary foundational thing, and that is prayer, right? So as a local congregation, we're to be about God's word, we're to be about the gospel of Jesus, and we're to be a group of people that prays. And so last week, we got the opportunity to talk about the importance of not only our personal prayer life, but really our corporate prayer life as a body of believers. And we recognize that when we pray together corporately and when we pray in alignment with God's will, the Bible tells us that that is pleasing to God and he desires to answer 
those prayers. And so that's what we did last week as we tried to uh, put that into practice, right? And we concluded our worship service by asking people to pray right where they were at. And I could kind of see at the beginning, like it feels a little bit uncomfortable for us, right? But it really shouldn't. We want that to be a part of what we do as a body of believers. And that's to, to lift up our request to the Lord, pray for our leadership and pray for the salvation of those that don't yet know Christ. And so those were the, the three foundational things that he starts the book with. Now, Paul's going to begin a transition, and the transition actually takes place in verse 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 9 this morning, but Paul's going to begin talking about his desire uh, for conduct, again, in the church. So he's going to talk about men, and he's going to talk about women, and then next week he's going to talk about overall church leadership. And so the, this section is here so that we might understand how God expects uh, his, his church to function and operate, and how he expects each individual person in it to conduct themselves. And so that's where we're heading this morning. We're going to talk about women in ministry, all right? Women in ministry. Now, I'd be lying to you if I didn't think. I almost just skipped to chapter 3, all right? I almost just, like, I would almost preach on anything other than this, especially in our, our current cultural environment. But the more I got to thinking about it, the more I prayed about it, I'm like, you know what? This is timely, and this is good for us as a, as a church to understand what does God's word say about women in the local church? What are they to do? What are they not to do? What roles are they expected to take on? And what roles are they restricted from having? And, and all of those things. And it's really good for us right now, particularly as Southern Baptists, right? So some of you may or may not be aware, but this conversation has, has really uh, come alive in the last couple of months. And so it's important that we understand what God's word says. Remember, we're going back to this. This isn't about what Pastor Jeremy thinks. This isn't about anything other than this is what God's word says we're to believe on this subject. So a couple of things I want to talk just about before we jump into the actual text. There's a couple of things that we need to make sure that we're not basing our understanding of this particular subject on. The first one is culture, right? We don't want to take what culture says outside of the local church and apply it to this particular subject. If we take what culture says about this subject and we apply it to the local church, what begins to happen is we begin to actually under apply what God's word says, right? We begin to open doors for opportunities and leadership roles and things that the scriptures say uh, we shouldn't, right? And, and culture definitely wants to say that we should. And so we got to be careful that we don't allow culture to dictate this because we, we actually under apply what God's word says. We also want to be careful that we don't uh, let tradition speak to this either because uh, I grew up in a Baptist church for a long time. Anybody else in here grew up in a Baptist church for a long time, right? So what you're going to find is there's a lot of things that we do that are rooted more in tradition than they are even in the Bible as it pertains to what women can and cannot do within the local church, what roles they can serve in, that type of stuff. So we got to be equally careful there because if we let tradition speak to this instead of God's word, we're not going to underapply, but we're going to overapply right, what God's word says to this. I mean, I've been in, in churches before where it's like, man, to, to, to welcome people at a door, you've got to be a guy, right? You've got to be a man. Like, that, that's not in here, right? And so we want to make sure that, that tradition isn't speaking to it, that outside culture isn't speaking to it. And the last one, and maybe the most important one, that we ourselves aren't the ones speaking to this. We need to make sure that our own emotions and our own thoughts about this thing isn't what driving what we believe, right? This is what we've been talking about the last several weeks. If we approach God's word and it says something that we do not believe, 
What we're supposed to do is realign ourselves with what God's word says, right? So we're to ask God to give us understanding, wisdom, possibly even repent, but make sure that we are the ones adjusting. God does not adjust to us. God's word doesn't adjust to us and what we feel and what we think and our opinions about things. And so that's why we wanna make sure right out of the gate that, that we're setting up the standard being God's word, all right? And so that's where we're gonna go this morning to get all the answers for, for this. So I'm gonna read chapter two, starting in verse nine. We're gonna read through the end of the chapter. That should be verse 15 for you. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them. If you've got your, your Bible journals, go ahead and open them up to be able to take notes this morning. So I'm gonna read all of these verses. Then I'm gonna pray. When I'm done praying, what we're going to do is spend a little bit of time talking about three things that God has to say about women in the local church. And I think this will be encouraging for all of us in the room. So start reading with me this morning. First Timothy chapter two, verse nine. Paul continues on. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and in self-control. Pray with me this morning. Father, we, we ask that you would illuminate this passage of Scripture for us. God, we pray for wisdom. God, we pray for understanding. God, we pray that, that we would be in alignment with what your word says. God, I pray this morning that if we talk about this subject and there's anything in us that wells up that says that I don't, I don't believe that or I don't want to believe that, that God, that you would bring us to a place of recognizing that this is your desire. God, this is your plan. This is your design. And Father, I pray that you'd bring us in alignment with what your word says. God, I pray that this morning would also be an, an encouragement. God, for every single person in the room, Lord, I pray that we would, we would understand, God, and that we would, we would be encouraged with what your word says. God, this isn't nearly as restrictive as it may sound, God. In fact, this is empowering. And so I pray that you'd help us to understand what this text means. God, help us to rightly apply it, not only to our personal lives, but to our life here as a church, as the household of God. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I said this morning, we're going to look at three things that God says about women in the local church. I'm going to do my absolute best to work through this text and, and, and talk to us in about a way that, that gives us discernment and understanding. Uh, this to me this week in my study, this was a lot like uh, Revelation for me. Like when I first started the book of Revelation, I started reading things and I'm like, okay, like this makes me a little nervous. This, this is like really tough stuff. And then you begin to study it more and you go, okay, so maybe this isn't as tough as, as I thought, right? It's actually a lot more uh, clear than, than I anticipated. The same thing's gonna be true, I think, of us this morning as we approach this topic in, in scripture. It's, it's not really as complicated, but it is like on the surface level though, right? Like if we're honest, like, like, what does verse 15 mean? Like, you're going to be saved through childbearing, and, and what does it mean to learn with submissiveness and quietness, and, and what, what is he talking about with modesty and all this stuff? And so that's where we're, 
where we're headed this morning, all right? So the first thing that we're going to look at in this text, we're going to find in verses 9 through 11. So Paul's going to share with us God's desire for women in the local church. He's going to share with us God's desire for women in the local church. Remember, he uses the word likewise, which connects it to the verse that came right before it. And if you remember from last week when we were talking about prayer, Paul says in verse 8, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So he gives some instructions and desires for men in the local church. And he says, men, I want you to do what God has called you to do. I want you to lead. I want you to lead out. I want you to specifically lead out in this area of prayer in the corporate gathering and some additional instructions. I want you to do it without anger and without quarreling. Those are the desires that God has for you as a man in the local church. Then he gets to verse 9, and he says, likewise. Then he begins to talk about women. So that's why we're saying this is, this is God's desire for women in the local church. And he shares several things in this series of verses, but but really he wants us to get down to, to the heart of the matter, just like he did with the men in verse 8. And so let's talk about it for just a second. Let's get into the details. Verse 9, he says, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good work. So he says, as it pertains to women in the local church, here's my desire for you. My desire for you is that you would adorn yourself with respectable apparel. That's the first thing that he talks about here, right? He says, with modesty, with self-control. Paul's trying to establish something here. He's trying to, to remind you that this isn't about making much of yourself, right? He says, modesty, which by the way, it's defined as moderate, right? So that you're to dress moderately or unassuming, Right? And there's, a, there's an immediate application of this. Like, it does matter what you wear. We don't want to dress it in a modest way. But what Paul's saying is, what this is really about is bringing attention to yourself. Right? So it, it, it's more than just what you wear and what's covered and what's not covered. In a broader sense, this is about modesty, modesty in general. That you wouldn't be ostentatious, right? What does that mean? That means, that means bringing attention to yourself. That you wouldn't be showy. That you wouldn't be attention-seeking, right? And then he says that you would be known more for your godliness and your good works. And that's really the heart. Just like we talked about with the men. It wasn't about a physical posture of prayer. It was about a posture of the heart. That you're to pray and do these things and lead in such a way that we see, that we see your purity of heart. So we see your godliness, same thing for women. When you come together as part of the gathered body, it's important that you understand that this is, this is about an issue of the heart. This is about showing up and being known for your godliness and your good works. This is about putting the focus on Jesus, turning the focus off of yourself. And what's happening a lot of times here, especially in Ephesus, is the culture from outside is creeping inside, right? Right? And so the local gathered body is becoming more and more about like, check out my, check out my clothes and, and check, check out me, right? And he's saying like, listen, you need to be known for your godliness. You need to be known for your good works more than you're to be known about your social status or your affluency or even your, your position, right? It's, it's to, to not make this about you. 
is to show up in a moderate and unassuming way so that Jesus gets the spotlight, right? And so this is a good and, 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 and right challenge for us. And so he talks about adorned with spectral, uh, respectable apparel. He talks about having this godly attitude, being known for your good works. And then we get down to verse 11, and he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, right? What he's talking about here is that, that you would gather together under the authority and leadership of the local church, which he's going to talk about in chapter 3, being the elders and pastors and deacons, and that in those environments that you would learn quietly and submissively, right? What was he talking about here? He's saying, don't subvert authority, right? So just, just like he just got done talking about, this is about Jesus. This is about operating and doing things the way that we should, not making it about ourselves and not subverting authority. And we see this being rooted in an apostolic position. We also see it being rooted in what he talks about uh, the, the home should look like, right? And the reason why I said it's apostolic position is this isn't just something that Paul has come up with, right? So many people make things about Paul and somebody else. Listen, this is a general apostolic position for all that followed Christ. And we know that because Paul is not the only apostle that says to do this. We also see that Peter says to this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Right? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So this isn't just a Paul thing. This is all of the apostles. They're saying like, this is rooted in headship in the home. And, and the same thing applies in the, in the local gathering of the body of believers, right? And this is good and honoring to God and it's precious in his sight. And so he's, remember, he's not saying it's so, so much about the, the exact external things that you wear. Like if you showed up this morning and you're wearing pearls, you're not sinning, okay? Uh, if you showed up this morning and anybody's hair braided, right? Like that's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about this is, a, this is an issue of the heart, right? This is an issue of the heart. And so this is rooted in apostolic position. This is rooted in, in headship. This is rooted in God's good and awesome design and plan. All right, second thing. Uh, that, that we see here is God's directive for women, all right? Three points, they're alliterated. That's right, you're welcome, all right? The, God's desire for women in the local church. Number two, God's directive for women in the local church. We see this in verse 12. So Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, this is important that we understand what this is talking about what it's not talking about. Like I said, I don't want to underapply this verse and I don't want to overapply this verse in the context of fellowship Olatha, okay? So this is good that we understand this. What is Paul basically saying? Here's the simplest form. Women may not teach or exercise authority over a man in the context of the assembled church, right? So he's going to say you can't exercise authority and teaching because that's been given to a very specific role within the church that we're going to talk about in chapter 3. That's elders, right? And so those are the ones that God has called 
in the local church setting to, to act on authority and the teaching of God's word. So as the body gathers, just like we're doing here this morning, this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying this is, this is limited in scope to this, that a woman should not hold certain positions of authority within the local church. And there's, there's one primary activity that a woman shouldn't do in the gathered body of the local church, and that is teach God's word like I'm doing up here this morning. This is reserved for a particular leadership role within the church, all right? So that's important that we understand that. So number one, that it directly applies to a specific context. The reason why that's important is because if we over-apply this, then we begin to think that women are allowed or encouraged to teach in the local church, and that's not true. Right? That's absolutely not true. We need women to participate in the life of the church. We have women participating in the life of the church all over, all over this, this campus every week. In fact, women in the Bible are talked about over and over again of having significant impact with their teaching, their ability to make disciples. Just a couple for you. You, you can go back and, and look at Lydia. Right? Lydia is a teacher of God's word. But Paul's saying even Lydia is restricted in this one particular context. Lydia is not to exercise authority and teaching in the gathered body of the church. That's for the elders. Right? You can also look at Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. Husband and wife uh, duo that, that teach God's word together. So that's important that, that we, we understand that. This isn't, this isn't restrictive in that regard. So this doesn't apply to your life group. Right? This doesn't mean that women can't talk and they have to just sit there quietly and, and can't contribute. Not at all, right? It's talking about a very specific context within the local church. We also see in Scripture here in regards to Timothy himself. Paul's writing this book to Timothy and that local congregation there in Ephesus. And he's reminded that his own mother and grandmother are the, the spiritual people in his life, right? They're the ones who taught him the scriptures. They're the ones who taught him about the things of God. And so, so we don't want to over-apply this verse. Number two, I want you to know that women can and do serve at Fellowship Olathe within the correct context in various functions and ministry areas all across the board. So that we're clear, we believe here as a church that no woman can hold the title of elder or pastor, right? But that is not restrictive to all the other areas of ministry that we've got. We have women that serve on our committees, and not just serve on our committees, we have women that will head up our committees. Uh, Susan Crowder here is, is, the, is the head of our personnel committee, so, so that's important, right? And, and they're not restricted in that area, um, they serve in every, women serve in every ministry area that we have across the board here at Fellowship Olathe, right? Uh, same thing with staff, right? We have women on our staff. Now, again, they are excluded from the office or position and role of pastor and elder, right? But we do have ladies on our staff. And so I think it's important that we understand that what this directive is and what it's not, Right? And, and what it's talking about in context and what women aren't or are not allowed to do, which brings us to point number three, which is God's design for women in the local church. And I think this explores it a little further. God's design for women in the local church. Look at verse 13. It's very interesting. Verse 13, 14, and 15, Paul says a lot of stuff. 
in these three verses. And in my opinion, these can be some of the most confusing uh, verses in this, this passage. And so it's good that we understand why he's bringing these things up. And I believe he's bringing these things up because he wants us to understand that this is all part of God's design from the very beginning, right? And so the first thing we see there is that God's design is rooted in creative order. It's rooted in creative order. When we talk about women's roles, God's desire for them in the local church, the things they're allowed to do, the things they're not allowed to do, this is all rooted in God's design and his creative order, right? And that's why in verse 13, it goes back and says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, right? God wants to make sure that we're not, we're not basing this upon cultural changes. This didn't change because of, of centering to the world and the fall. None of those things. From the very beginning, this was God's good design for men and women, that men would have headship, right? We, we see this in the family. That's why he goes back to Adam and Eve, that men would, would be given headship. That's why men will be uniquely held responsible for leading their families in a way that wives won't. So, so if you're a husband in the room, if you're a dad in the room, you will give an account to God one day for your leadership within the home because God decided that you were to have headship and that he was gonna hold you uniquely accountable for that. And you wanna know why? Because God just said, I don't know why. It certainly wasn't because Adam is smarter than Eve or that he was gonna do better, or that, oh, God knew that Eve was gonna, gonna sin first, or none of those things. It was God designed it from the very beginning for Adam to have headship. And by the way, we shouldn't bristle at the word headship because every single person in the room is under headship, even the men in the room. It's not like we are our own ultimate authority. I have to do what God says and bring myself in alignment under what his word says, right? And so this is what we see in scripture, that it's God, then the husband, then the wife, and then creation. They were both to exercise dominion over the rest of creation, right? And so that's what we see, that God's design was rooted in creative order. It's, it's not due to changing cultural values or the fall. So these aren't things that, that we're to update, right? Because it's 2023 and, and not the very beginning of the world. And so God takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden and said, listen, from day one, it was Adam, then it was Eve. This is my good and right design, right? Number two, women should not aspire to roles that God doesn't intend for them. I know this is a little challenging and it may seem a little, little harsh coming from you. I'm not trying to make it sound harsh. I'm just simply telling you that, that in chapter three, verse one, it says that this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So God's saying, if a man desires to be a, an overseer and, and desires this office or aspires to this office, that's a good thing. But if a woman does, it's not a good thing because it's falling outside of, of what God says they should and shouldn't do, right? So we see this in verse 14. This is what he's talking about. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He's not saying that this is because the woman sinned first and that Adam's better than her. No, 
God is reminding us of the roles that we were supposed to have from the very beginning. And he's saying that when you step outside of what I've called you to do, this kind of stuff is what happens. So Eve took over headship in her home in a way that she was never called to have, right? And was deceived, sinners in the world. And so that's what we're reminded of here. That woman was deceived and then Adam made a conscious decision to go against what God had said. We got God's plan of creative order all out of, of whack, right? And that's what happened. Remember, it was supposed to be God, then man, then wife, then creation. In that account, in Genesis chapter 3, what happens? Creation deceives the woman who ultimately leads to her husband, and then God becomes last. It takes what God expected to happen and totally flips it on its head. And so that's why we want to be careful here that, and be reminded that women should not aspire to roles that God does not intend for them. All right, so, so listen, I hear this question all the time. It's, I probably get this question more than anything else. What does our church believe about women in ministry? In fact, it's, it's increasing becoming the, the number one question that I receive. And I even get questions all the time about it, like, like what if my daughter, what if my daughter wants to become a pastor? Should, should we encourage that? And I would say, listen, as a believer in Christ, you should not encourage that because that's not what God's word teaches. That's not anything against women. Listen, I have a wife and four amazing daughters. And just because they're amazing daughters does not mean that they can be pastors because that's not what God's word says. So anyways, I'm just, we should not aspire to roles that God doesn't intend for. So what should should women do? Look at number three. Women are to carry out their unique God-given responsibilities. That's verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What Paul is not saying here, and we need to be careful with this, Paul is not saying that saved means salvation or justification. He's not saying that, that women are saved or justified through childbearing. Right? That that wouldn't make any sense because we know that the Bible teaches that all come to saving faith the exact same way. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We're all saved by grace through faith so that no one may boast. This isn't a works-based anything. What he's reminding us of, though, is the unique, the unique God-given responsibilities that women have. And so remember, following the logic here, here's God's good and right design that men would lead and exercise headship, that women would not try to subvert that authority, that they would do what God called them to do, and what God called them to do is the unique things that are there for women only. And so that's the logical thought flow here for Paul as we enter in to this, this season of talking about leadership, right? And so these are good things for us to understand here. So remember, the first thing, number one, God's desire for women in the local church. So he lays out what that's to look like. Then he talks about God's directive for women in the local church. Here's what you can do. Here's the thing that you can't do, right? And then he talks about God's design for women in the local church. And these are all good things for us to understand. And next week, we'll, we'll understand even more about the leadership that God calls for the local church. It's, it's good for us to know that here our pastors are our elders. 
right, in order to function in that role and, and what, what role are deacons to serve and what does that look like? And, and you know, by the way, it's, it's so funny because we most often use the term pastor. We'll talk about this some next week, but that's probably the least used word in scripture for this role. A pastor is translated shepherd, and so I think for most of us, we get in our mind, like, that's what it is to be a pastor, right, is the shepherd. Very interesting, though, is you're going to find out that that's actually not listed among the qualifications for an elder. In fact, the only qualification listed there that's very emphatic and specific is the ability to teach. It's what separates the elder from the deacon, but we'll talk about that more next week. So all of this matters, and so he starts with, with God's word. He starts with the gospel, he starts with prayer, and then he says, listen, this is what it's to look like for men, this is what it's to look like for women, this is what it's to look like for leadership. And that's where we're heading this week. Now, as we, as we close this morning, I wanna remind us of God's good design. Like I said, there is a good and right design for both men and women and leadership in the local church, but it's also important for you to understand that there's a good and right design for you in relationship with God. I want every single person in this room to be reminded of that this morning, that God created you to be relational. God created you for relationship with other people, but primarily God created you for a relationship with himself. And we know as a result of sin, we've fractured and broken that relationship, but that's what we talked about in the scripture, why Christ came so that we might be reconciled back to God the Father. So Jesus leaves the glory of heaven, lives a perfect and sinless life, dies on the cross so that you might be saved, that you might have forgiveness of sin, that you might be brought back into good and right relationship with God the Father. And that is his good and right design. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for passages like we've talked about this morning. Sometimes, God, they're very confusing and, and difficult and and yet you've, you've laid it out for us. As we said from the very beginning, God, I pray that we not let culture around us dictate this to us. God, I pray that we not let our own tradition dictate this to us, our own emotions and thoughts, but God, I pray that we would stand upon the truth of your word and trust you as God. But we recognize that when we try to take over your role, God, things get real bad. And so help us to stay in alignment with what you say and how you've asked us to live this out. We pray all this in Christ's name.